from studying the Gospel of John. And so even though your bulletin says John 14, this morning we're actually going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. And the reason we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 is because I believe it speaks to the great need uh, that our country is feeling most acutely at the moment. Uh, There may be lots of passages of Scripture that we could apply to our cultural moment, uh, but I think Ephesians chapter 2, with its talk of reconciliation and peace, uh, has particular bearing. And so we're going to go there. Before we read, uh, let me just tell you kind of what Paul has been doing in this letter, um, in Ephesians chapter 2 anyway, in verses 1 through 10, Paul has unpacked what God has done for us individually. And he begins by saying, by telling us what we were, right? He says we were dead, not mostly alive, not somewhat alive, not on life support, not in need of a little bit of help, but we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, And that in our spiritual deadness, we followed, we walked in a particular course. We followed the prince of the air. We followed... Satan himself, we walked in disobedience, and as a result, we're children of wrath, that we are underneath God's wrath. But then Paul goes on to say that God, being rich in mercy, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And so, we were dead. By God's grace, we're made alive, and we are given a new hope and a new life. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop on that individual vertical level. He goes on to tell us what that means for us horizontally uh, in the next few verses. And so let's give attention to God's word uh, by the hand of the Apostle Paul written in Ephesians 2 starting in verse 11. Therefore, in light of everything I just said about God's gracious salvation that you didn't do, that God did for you, therefore... Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances so that he might create In himself, one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Let's pray. Lord, even as we approach your word, we rejoice, or ought to rejoice, we give thanks that whether we're Jew or Gentile, American or Chinese, 
male or female, rich or poor, we have access to you through the Spirit by the blood of Jesus. And because we have access, we can ask you to bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word. We can ask you to come with power and to affect change. Work in our hearts. Lord, we desperately need it. Father, whatever I share that is my opinion, I pray that it would fall to the ground and be blown away. But whatever is true of your word, God, we pray that it would take root and bear fruit for generations to come. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Brent Thompson, Patrick Demaripa, Michael Kroll, Michael Smith, Lorne Ahrens. Those, of course, are the names of seven men who were killed last week. Seven men whose deaths have captured the national spotlight. As I said, they were not the only people who were shot last week. They certainly were not the only people who died last week. But right now, their names are ringing in our ears. And what they remind us of is that we still live, we do live, in a world full of wrong. A world full of what the Bible calls sin. A sin that is not simply in big cities. A sin that is not simply on the other side of the tracks. Sin that doesn't just reside next door in my neighbor's house. uh, But sin that is rooted squarely in my own heart. And but for the restraining grace of God, it would run rampant. Those names also remind us that our country has a particular sin problem. Uh, We're not the only country with this problem, but we are certainly probably the largest diverse country in the world. The the, The two countries that are larger than us, China and India, do not have nearly the diversity of population that we have. And so this problem uh, is most acutely seen in us. It has been most acutely seen in our history. We have a very sad history when it comes to the range of our diversity. And you can call it what you want. You may call it racism. You may call it classism. Um, You can call it pride. But it is our problem. Uh, It is our problem in that we have a deep-seated mistrust of others, particularly those who don't look like us, and often outright feelings of hostility towards people who don't look like us. And so whatever you want to label that sin, uh, it is very clear from last week that there is still much division in our culture. We've come a long way. And yet it is clear we have much further to go. There is a lot of division and hostility in our culture. We turned on the news last night, and uh, CBS News anyway, and they had the question kind of as the headline for the hour, how do we bring a nation together? We keep asking that question. How do we bridge the divide? How do we put an end to the hostility? And of course there's all kinds of talk about how we do that. Everybody has an opinion, and of course they're all very glad to share them. 
Um, but there's talk about policy, about law, about education. How do we fix this? And there may be plenty of answers to be gleaned from those areas. Uh, our, our leaders, our celebrities may have some good ideas. Um, but I really think that Paul gives us the ultimate answer right here. Uh, he gives us the ultimate answer in the gospel. And so uh, let's talk about what we do. How do we, how do we deal with our hostility. First, let's talk about where our hostility comes from. There was a stark divide in Paul's day. You'll be happy to know, I'm sure you do know, that racism is, as I said, it's not unique to us in the globe, but it's also not unique in history. Um, People have been killing other people for quite a long time, uh, really for almost our entire history. And there was a stark divide in Paul's day. Uh, There was a stark divide between the Jews and the Gentiles, probably rivaling our own own ethnic history. The Jews were God's covenant people. God had made particular promises to them. He had a special relationship with them. He revealed himself to them in a way that he did not reveal himself to the rest of the nations. And the goal, if you read the Old Testament, is that God's people would be a beacon to the nations. But God's people uh, in the Old Testament were not a beacon to the nations. They did not welcome the nations. They excluded the nations. They took the things that God had given them, namely circumcision, and they used God's grace to say, none of you. Um, What Paul probably has in view here in particular is, is circumcision. That was the physical marker, right? It was a symbol of, uh, it was a symbol of God's, blessing on Israel. But they had taken that symbol of blessing and they were using it as a, as a point of pride. All right, Paul refers to it there. You who are called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. You who are slandered by the people who have the symbol. Right? Um, what's interesting about that is that, that circumcision wasn't really a sign of pride. It was a sign of shame. What the symbol meant, what it was supposed to mean was that there's something fundamentally wrong with you, that that you are unclean in and of yourself, and in order to be clean, something must be cut off. Uh, So circumcision was a symbol, a bloody symbol of cleansing that must happen in order for one to be right with the Lord. But the Jews took that symbol and made it a point of their pride, and they used it to alienate others. And so, to be a Gentile not only meant to be alienated from God's promises, but also to not be a part of the special group. Paul talks about the dividing wall of hostility. There was a literal wall. It was a short wall, but a wall all the same. You might even call it a stone fence. But it surrounded the temple in Jerusalem in Paul's day. And on that wall was a sign that basically said, if you were a Gentile, you could not go into the temple. You could not approach worship. You could not get close. If you did, you would be killed. And so there was a dividing wall keeping Gentiles out of the temple in Jerusalem, keeping them, barring them from approaching the Lord. That preferential treatment of one ethnicity over another would probably be called racism in our day. It wouldn't correspond exactly, but there was clearly hostility there. But hostility goes much further back than the Jews and the Gentiles. 
The first sin we see in the Bible is in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve rebel against God's command. And as a result, you have hostility. Hostility between God and man. But then the second comes right on its heels. It's interesting that in the very next chapter of the Bible, the very fruit of rebellion against God, the first sin uh, that we see, or the second, the second sin that we see in the Bible is Cain murdering his brother Abel because Abel offered God a better sacrifice. He was envious, and so he killed his brother. Hostility between God and man leads to hostility between man and man. And the bloodshed only increases from there. Dividing walls still exist. Hostility still exists. We may have done away with many of the physical dividing walls. It's no longer legal. Um, Laws are better than they used to be. Homes and jobs can no longer be denied to people based on race or class. But we would acknowledge that there's still injustice in the system that there are certain people who are more under the threat of the law than others. And the reason that there's sin in the system is because the system is made up of people. And so we bring our innate problem even to the system that's supposed to create justice. But that's not the only place, right? There are still walls in my heart, too. Animosity, loathing, fear. Those still stick up out of the ground of your heart, don't they? Aren't there the people you talk about in whispered tones? Those people over there? Hostility. Even if it's not physical right in front of us, it's alive and well right here. And so whatever name you want to put on it, racism, pride, injustice, etc., it's a fruit of our sin. And we are lying to ourselves when we say it doesn't exist. When we say that's not really a problem we have anymore. No, it's still clearly a problem that we have. Uh, We cannot watch the news and pretend that all is well. And so the question is what, or at least the question that's being asked is what do I do with my hostility? Or as a nation, what do we do with our hostility? But I would submit to you that's the wrong question. I can't seem to do a whole lot with my hostility. I still feel the same way I felt about certain people ten years ago. I would submit that even as a nation, though there may be lots of good ideas, there's not a whole lot that we can do about our mutual hatred for others. And so the question is not, what can I do with my hostility? But what does God do with my hostility? How does God address that? And the answer is, he kills it. He uses that language. Paul uses that language that Jesus kills hostility. He puts it to death. Where does hostility die? Let's read again verses 13 through 16. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, That would be you and me, right? You who once were far off. We were those people. We were those people who were held at a distance. We were those people who didn't belong, who didn't have a part. 
And Paul says, you who once were far off have been brought near. How? We have brought, been brought near by the blood of Christ. How interesting that blood usually leads to more blood. Right? What uh, God says to Cain in Genesis 4 is, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground, crying out for justice, crying out for vengeance. That's usually what blood cries out for. What does Jesus' blood say? In the book of Hebrews, when we hear uh, that Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, what does Jesus' blood cry out for? cries out for peace. Interestingly, his bloodshed is meant to bring an end to bloodshed. He himself is our peace. How is he our peace? He has made us both one. Paul, of course, talking to Jews and Gentiles, but it's much bigger than that. The Jew-Gentile divide really just representative of all divides throughout humanity forever. Jesus, well, not forever, and that's the good news. Jesus makes us one. He takes the two and he makes them one. Paul says he makes them a new humanity, brings them together in one man himself. He's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh In his death, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing. The word abolishing is probably strong for modern English. What that means is not that he is um, destroyed. That's kind of how I think of abolish. But that he is neutralized. He's made it ineffective. Uh, The law of commandments expressed in ordinances. He's talking about that ceremonial law, that that need for circumcision that the Jews used to hold other people out. Jesus just comes and fulfills it. That's what circumcision pointed to, that bloody cutting off. Well, that's what Jesus did. He was cut off as a bloody sacrifice so that those who were far off could be brought near. And so Jesus neutralizes the law. He makes it of no effect. And when he does that, he is able to bring those on one side of the wall and those on the other side of the wall together. He breaks down the wall of hostility. He brings an end to hostility in his death. He says no more hostility between man and man. Hostility between man and man is dead because my blood speaks peace. And what that means, uh, as has often been said, what that means, the way that that happens is the terms of access to God are are now the same. See, before, when there was still that dividing wall, some were closer than others. That's a point of pride. I can say, right, I am more righteous than my Gentile neighbor, so I have direct access. My Gentile neighbor does not. But that same sense of pride still infects us. We innately think, I am better than my black neighbor. I am holier than she is. And what Paul is saying is, if that were ever true, it's not true anymore. The wall is down. 
The only way you can approach is through the flesh of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus. As has often been said, the foot at the ground of the cross is level. Uh, All are leveled at the foot of the cross. He keeps going because that's not the only hostility that has to die. Verse 16. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. If, uh, if you have an infection uh, that leads to a fever, you would be foolish just to take Tylenol. If you have a serious bacterial infection that's causing a fever, you don't want to just take ibuprofen. What do you want to take care of? The infection. The real root of the problem that's leading to the symptom. If you just treat the symptom, well, you're only going to just treat the symptom and it's going to come back. You see, hostility between man and man, between Cain and Abel, between black and white, between rich and poor, that's just symptomatic. That's, that's hostility on a horizontal level. And what it points to is that there's hostility at the vertical level. The reason that I can't love my neighbor is because I don't love God. And so one is the fever, the other is the infection. Jesus doesn't just come to deal with the fever. He comes to take care of the infection. It says he kills the hostility between God and man. He brings humanity together and he says, no longer Jew, no longer Gentile, but Christian. No longer black, no longer white, no longer barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, male or female, as Paul would say in Ephesians 6, all are in Christ. Not that there's no distinction between those groups, but that all are the same in Jesus all have the same access. And the reason we all have the same access is because Jesus has killed hostility. And until the hostility is killed, until the rift between God and man that was opened in Genesis 3 is healed, there can be no lasting peace. And so Jesus deals with the infection. Jesus heals the rift. Jesus kills the hostility on the cross. He dies so that hostility will die with him. He is the one who puts death to death. From Romans 5, starting in verse 8. But God shows his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Sinners, Christ died for us. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Reconciliation, an exchange, a change of favor. To be reconciled means that once I was out of favor, and now I have favor. How do I have favor with God? 
through the blood of Jesus. Colossians 3, 11 through 13. Here, in Jesus, here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Church, this is our calling. Though the war may be raging out there, it cannot rage in here. Because if you have come to the cross through the blood of Jesus, there is nothing left to rage about. There is no more hostility. Here we find compassionate hearts, humility, kindness, meekness, patience, forgiveness. We are a reconciled people. And if we are a reconciled people, then we can be reconcilers. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. We ought to be an anomaly, a glitch in a world that pushes to violence and anger. How do we apply this? Just a few thoughts. The wall is down. Don't rebuild it. Jesus has done the work that must be done. Don't undo it. Don't rebuild the wall that Jesus has torn down. Be angry and sad for all of the right reasons. Seven men died last week. Not just five and not just two. Seven. And we can be whatever the the facts of the case turn out to be. We can be angry and sad that we live in a world where police are murdered and where lethal force is even necessary. We can be angry and sad for all the right reasons. We can hate death because God hates it. We can hate injustice because God hates it. And on that score, we are far better at being socially outraged than we are at being socially engaged. We're far better at being socially outraged than we are at being socially engaged. It is not enough, friend, to stomp your feet on Facebook. Get out of the chair and get into someone's life. And when you do, listen more than you speak. Listen more than you speak. And remember that Jesus came into the world as one of us. He did not sit in heaven and lament at how bad things were on earth. No, he humbled himself. He took on flesh. He became obedient 
to the point of death. Let's figure out how we can do the same. And above all, let's offer the hope of the gospel. That Jesus is the great reconciler. That Jesus is the great reconciler between God and man. That he has broken down the mutual hostility. We, in rebellion against God, God's wrath against us, both of those are met in Jesus. Jesus absorbs the wrath of God and turns our hearts from being rebellious. Jesus is the great reconciler. And so let's reconcile people to God through Jesus. Let's offer the hope of the gospel. The hope that all men no matter how far removed from God they may look, no matter how far removed from God they may actually be, that in Jesus they can be reconciled to Him. And for those of you who are not, uh, who would not consider yourselves Christians, I would say this. Christ has killed hostility, enmity, strife, anger, hatred. They died that day on Calvary. We don't have to bear them anymore. You don't have to bear them anymore. Hostility died at Calvary so that we could have peace with God and peace with others. Let's pray. Lord, our only hope is the gospel. The good news that despite all of our badness, despite all of our hostility, that Jesus came And he killed it. He killed it in his own death. And by the the shedding of his cleansing blood, we come to know peace. Peace is made for us. And so we can be peacemakers for others. Oh Lord, I pray that before we speak or react, that we would remember the gospel, that we would remember what you have done for us in Christ, and that that fuels even the way we think about death and injustice and life and everything else. Help us to think and live the gospel of grace that brings peace to the world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's